0: Welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We begin a new sermon series called Glimpses Today, where we find shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our desire is that through this series, you would find great joy and renewed reason to meditate on the Old Testament as well as the New we have Jared Nicholas kick-starting the series for us. We know that you will be blessed. Hello, everybody. It is good to be with you as always. Um, so today we're going to be starting a new series. It's called Glimpses, Seeing Jesus in the Book of Isaiah. Uh, so this is a series that we're um, going to be doing as we prep for Advent, as we prepare for the Advent season, which is very soon. So i um, looking forward to what I have to share today, so I'll be giving you guys a, a little bit of background on the book on Isaiah, uh, the main, the for the first half, the primary verse we're going to focus on is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, I'll uh, give you some information around that, and then the later part, we'll be looking at some uh, New Testament stuff in Matthew as well. Um, and when we look at the New Testament story, uh, it is heavily borrowed from one of my favorite sermons uh, it's called the sermon is called Overcoming Fear by a person called dietrich Bonhoeffer. So a lot of the stuff you'll hear is heavily borrowed from that um, but um we can get right into it, but before we do, I am gonna say a word of prayer and then we'll start heavenly father we As always, we thank you for giving us the privilege to gather together in your name, Lord. We know that the reason we're here is because of you and you have bound us together, Lord. Father, we ask that uh, as we see uh, that uh, you are Emmanuel today, that you are God with us, that uh, we will know that you are always with us, Lord, and that we will come to this sense that no matter what is happening around us, that you are with us and you are present with us, Lord. So, Father, uh speak to us. Let your word penetrate us, let it penetrate our hearts, Lord, and let it change us, Father. Lord, and let uh, the words be spoken to you, let them be from you. Let let the words that are spoken edify the person that's hearing and draw them closer to you. Uh, We love you. Once again, thank you for the freedom we have to gather together. And we remember the people that may not have that freedom, Lord. Um, So we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so for the first part of the series, we're going to focus on uh, uh, Isaiah chapter seven. That's verse 14. But before we get into that, just a little bit of background about Isaiah. So Isaiah is, it's a prophetic book. We call it one of the books of, it's a major prophet, Isaiah. So, and the book is mostly credited to being written by Isaiah. And uh, there's some question as to if the, the second half of the book was really written by him or not because uh, so many things take place so many hun- about 100, hundred, hundred, hundred and fifty years, uh, from the first half. So, but it is credited to Isaiah, mostly to Isaiah. Um, it is, uh, can be kind of divided into two sections. Uh, the first section kind of goes from chapter one to chapter 39. The second section kind of goes from chapter 40 all the way to chapter 66. In the first section, that's chapter one to 39. Um, we kind of see these themes of uh, judgment and hope that are always balanced. And there are three sections where Isaiah is delivering judgment to the people of Israel, judgment because uh, they have turned to idolatry, judgment because they have forsaken the law, judgment because they are no longer following the one true God. And so he comes and speaks to them and talks about the judgment that God is going to deliver, that uh, there'll be nations that come and take them over uh, the ultimate judgment being uh, babylon coming and destroying jerusalem and then being taken as captives to babylon but these words of judgment um, are always followed by these words of hope that uh, god will set things right so judgment will is coming but uh, after the judgment that god will still set all things right that he will still establish his kingdom and that Israel will still be, so that people can see that God is true. So there is judgment because Israel has turned away from God, but it is always followed by hope that God will set things right, that God will make all things right, and that his kingdom will be established. So it is not just judgment, but it's always followed by hope. And the second half, it kind of elaborates on this hope, and uh, it introduces uh, this figure that's God's servant, who uh, is Jesus, and then talks about how God's servant will come, but he will be rejected, and that uh, he will be killed, but he doesn't stay dead, that he will rise again. And that uh, the followers of this servant, so the servant's servant, the servants of the servant of God's servant will inherit God's kingdom. So there. So Jesus is pretty much throughout this book of Isaiah. And so we will get to see, uh, we'll walk through this as we go through this series. So those are the kind of two sections of Isaiah. The first part being the judgment and hope. And the second part kind of elaborating what this hope is, uh, and, uh, through the servant who is Jesus. So. That's kind of like a brief uh, overview about the book of Isaiah. Uh, now, kind of want to set the setting for this chapter seven, verse fourteen. Okay, so uh, when we ch- start in chapter seven, we start with uh, King Ahaz. So King Ahaz is the king of Judah. The kingdom of Israel has been divided into two different kingdoms, Judah, which is two tribes, it's like called the southern kingdom, and then Israel, which is ten tribes, it was called the northern kingdom. Um, so, uh, King Ahaz finds, before that, um, just background on Ahaz. So Ahaz is not a person that you would call, uh, is a faithful king to God. He would probably fall under the bracket of wicked kings of Israel. Um, He w- worshipped idols. He sacrificed one of his own sons um, to pagan gods. And so he was really not <clears throat> a king uh, that put his faith in the one true God. So that is a little bio on Ahaz. So Ahaz finds himself in a predicament where the kingdom of Israel, which is the 10 tribes, and a neighboring kingdom of Syria, have kind of uh, aligned himself a band together against the kingdom of Judah uh, everyone recognizes that there is this power called Assyria that is uh, becoming more prominent so Syria <clears throat> the kingdom of Syria and Israel come together kind of trying to uh, include Judah or conquer Judah so they can have more support to stand against Assyria so, Ahaz finds himself in this predicament where there are these two kingdoms that have aligned themselves together and they're coming, or at least their intentions are to uh, conquer Judah or take Judah for themselves. Uh, So in the midst of this setting is where Isaiah shows up and uh, speaks to Ahaz, right? So we're going to start at chapter seven. Um, We're not going to read one through 14 because there's a lot of stuff, a lot of names in here, but we're going to highlight the couple of things that are very important. Um, So chapter 7, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and you and your son to meet Ahaz. Right? So now they're going to meet Ahaz. And then when they see him, they tell him, Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood um, because of the fierce anger. So he's talking about the two smoldering stubs being Syria and uh, Israel. So they're telling him, be careful, don't be afraid, keep calm, do not lose heart, okay? And then then they say that it will not take place and it will not happen, as in the Lord will not allow you to be conquered by them. Yet referring to the plot that those two kingdoms have to overtake Judah. and, And Isaiah tells them, it will not take place. It will not happen, okay? So, and then... He ends his talk to Ahaz saying, "If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all." So that's kind of how he ends it. So he tells him, "Don't worry, God has things in control. These things will not take place. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will fall as well." Okay. So he kind of ends his. uh, When they go to meet him, this is the message they have for him, letting him to telling him to hold on. Keep his faith in God and don't be afraid and don't do anything else. Just hold on, be patient, stay still. God will take care of it, okay? And then God speaks to Ahaz again through Isaiah saying, this is verse 10. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it is the deepest depths or in the highest heights. And then it says, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. So, after delivering this message, so God tells Ahaz, ask me for a sign, right? And then, and God gives him, the sky is the limit, okay? Ask me for a sign, either to the depths of Sheol or the deepest deeps or the heights of heavens, ask me for any sign. And then Ahaz responds saying, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord, my God, to the test, or I will not put the Lord to the test. So initially, this seems like a very pious, very righteous response. I will not put the Lord to the test, right? But it really isn't because what is happening here is like one, the Lord is giving him a command, ask for a sign. And in a sense, he refuses not to obey the command and he says, no, I will not ask. And two, the real, re- so this, the real reason he doesn't ask is because this is, he is It is a really, it's an answer of false piety, okay? What Ahaz wants to do is he wants to do his own thing. Because if he were to ask God for a sign and God gave him that sign to confirm all this he had said, then Ahaz would be locked in and he would have to stay and be patient and let God work it out. But he didn't want that. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He did not want what God wanted him to do. He wanted to do what he wanted to do, right? So, that's why he refuses to ask for a sign. It wasn't uh, that I have put my trust in God so much that I don't need a sign. That wasn't the reason he refused one. He just didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. So that's why he said, no, I don't need a sign. And because he had already made up his mind that he was going to, hit the way he's going to escape the situation is he was going to go uh, to Assyria on his own and allure them with the, uh, Money, So he was going to pay, essentially he was going to go to Syria and pay them for protection from uh, Judah and from, sorry, from Israel and Syria. So he had the plan worked out and he wanted to follow through on his plan. He wanted to do what he wanted. To. He wanted control, right? So, and you can see that Isaiah clearly sees this because the tone kind of changes when Isaiah responds, right? And then he says, and then. Then in verse 13, it says, then Isaiah said, here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? So it almost feels like Isaiah is a little annoyed by his response because he kind of can see through with that Ahaz just wants to do what he wants to do. And then he goes on to say, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is our verse that we're going to focus on for a little bit. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So this is chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So out of nowhere, this almost seems like this random sign that Ahaz is being given. So a woman or a virgin. a virgin um we'll conceive a son and this son will be called Emmanuel Emmanuel meaning god with us that is an that is the meaning of the word Emmanuel so we'll be call him Emmanuel meaning god with us so we're not going to dwell too much on the contemporary significance it has he- as in, we're not going to dwell too much on what this sign means to a he- Ahaz, because that's really not our focus right now. There are a couple of ways we can look at it. Uh, but what we want to focus on is what does this sign mean for the future? Right. So we're going to fast forward a few hundred years. But then again, so sign again is, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel stands for God with us. So. Um, we're gonna focus on how um the gospel writer Matthew kind of uses this and shows us that how this is full this verse is fulfilled later on. So we're kind of gonna fast forward like 800 years in history, and we're gonna to go to Matthew chapter one. Uh, so this is Matthew chapter one, verse 20 through 21. It says, But after All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The prophet, meaning Isaiah the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew brings this around for us. So Matthew clearly states this passage is taken from Isaiah 7.14 saying, this sign, this prophecy has been fulfilled in our midst because God has come down to be with us. So he has been conceived uh, of a virgin because Mary has not been with a man. She has been conceived through the Holy Spirit. And uh, the person that will be born will be God with us. The person that will be born is Emmanuel, God with us. So, <clears throat> so we they had to wait 800 years to see the fulfilling of the sign, right? A long time. But uh, Matthew clearly uh, made this connection. And he's telling us that this has been fulfilled, that God has come to be with his people. And that is through Jesus. So when Jesus was born, it was God coming to be with his people. It was Emmanuel, God with us. So what does this mean, God with us? Like, is What does it mean to us, right? It is a phrase that we will probably, if we are Christians, it's a phrase that we have heard all our lives. Every time Christmas comes up, Emmanuel got with us as a theme. If you are a new believer, uh, maybe you're hearing for the first time or second or third time. But what does this mean that God is with us? Why is it so important for us to go back to this almost every year to kind of refocus or remind ourselves that why the title is given to our God is Emmanuel, God with us. What does it, what does it mean? What does it look like? So, we're gonna go a couple of chapters ahead to Matthew chapter eight. So, and we're gonna look at something that happened with Jesus. So, we're gonna look at uh, Matthew chapter eight, and these are verses. Uh, 23 through 27. So now I'm going to read them and then I'm going to read them and then we'll make some and we'll talk about it, make some observations. So this is Matthew 8, chapter 23 to 27. Then he got in the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So this is the story where Jesus calms the storm. So. Um, we're gonna walk through this and look at some points. Um, the first kind of observation I want to make is if you read one step, one verse earlier, if you go to Matthew chapter, seven, Matthew chapter eight, verse 22, um, uh, that verse reads, but Jesus told him. So he's talking to someone else. It says, follow me and lead, let the dead bury their own dead. So 22 has this uh, statement of follow me and then fcc verse 23 it is immediately followed by in in verse 23 it says then he got on the boat and the disciples followed him so it's uh, it's very interesting to see that jesus is saying follow me and then the disciples are immediately following him onto the boat so and then we do see that the disciples followed jesus onto the boat right and then as they followed him onto the boat uh, it says that without warning there was a storm that came out of nowhere so um the sea of galilee if i read this correctly the sea of galilee is in a valley and so because of its unique placement it is uh, predisposed to sudden storms and uh, violent storms that can happen very quickly so it seems to be that one of these storms is what they're caught up in so first thing like when we follow Jesus, there will be storms, right? Um, whether storms because we have chosen to follow Him, storms of the circumstances of life, um, anything you can think of, there will be storms. So they can come out of nowhere without, without warning. Most storms are just a telephone call away, right? You pick up the phone and you hear some news, and you're in the midst of a storm. Um, so But here, the disciples followed him onto the boat, right? And then as they followed him onto the boat, uh, Mm -hmm. they're in the midst of a storm. And then, so, and it is, I mean, it seems to be a very violent storm because these are experienced fishermen and they have been brought to their needs, fearing for their lives, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. So it had to be a very Frightening, scary situation I can imagine for these experienced fishermen in their home turf, which is the Sea of Galilee, where they probably do most of their fishing. um, That where they are saying, fearing for their lives, we're going to drown. And then they wake up Jesus, who is sleeping through all of this, and he replied. First thing he takes he tells them, "You have little faith. Why are you so afraid?" Right. Then he goes about and. Rebukes the wind and the storm and it comes right and then uh, and then in verse 27 uh, another observation that we can make is like the men were amazed and asked what kind of man is this? So here Matthew uses the word men to, res- to refer to the disciples. through most of the gospel he uses the word disciples to refer to the disciples. this is one of the few instances he uses the word men almost as if saying, the men as in the disciples were normal men but they were amazed and asked what kind of man is this this man is not a normal man this man is an extraordinary man this man is Emmanuel this man is God with us right so almost a comparison between ordinary men and this man who is not only man but who is also God but they haven't made that confession yet but it is in their minds Matthew showing us that he is not a mere man as these disciples are men he is there's something extraordinary about him so as we go back to the story so we see that um, they got in the boat with jesus so for them to get in the boat with jesus i'm guessing there had to be some kind of confidence that things were going to be okay so they probably uh, looked at the sea it was probably calm and looked at the Clouds, they're probably maybe clear or were not threatening. My guess is they probably knew signs to look for if a storm was imminent and may have not gone out to sea. They knew there was going to be a storm. So there was, um, there's this confidence with which they followed Jesus and got in the boat. And um, as the storm comes up, this confidence is no longer there, right? Um, The disciples. Went to him and very emphatically, Lord save us, right? Because they knew they were in danger. Lord save us. We're going to drown. So we see all of a sudden there is this new passenger on the boat with them, right? This new passenger is almost is an invisible passenger, but he is there. Uh, this passenger is uh, fear. So there is this new passenger that's on the boat and this passenger is fear and fear makes us do lots of things, right? In this case, fear has taken away all the confidence with which they stepped onto the boat and now they're looking at the circumstances around them and they're in fear for their lives, right? So this new passenger has changed the dynamic entirely, right? So when we are in storms, um, one of the, things that is sometimes a companion is fear. Um when things come up, fear takes over and we do things that we normally wouldn't do. Uh, we may make decisions that we normally wouldn't make. Uh, we may cut off connections that uh, we normally wouldn't. We may build walls that we normally wouldn't. But fear, like with the disciples, causes us to do things that uh, we may not normally do. It again, makes us afraid, causes us to fear for things that could happen. Like in this case, uh, the disciples are fearing for their lives because they are in fear of drowning. So like, they are fully immense in the situation that is going on and they are filled with fear. These are seasoned fishermen who are used to storms in the Sea of Galilee who are seasoned swimmers. So their life is at sea and they're in a situation where fear has taken over. Fear is an additional passenger on this boat. And all they can think of is that the fact that they're going to lose their lives and they're going to drown. And and in this filled with fear state, um, they go and wake up Jesus. And he tells them, um, you have little faith. Um, why are you so afraid? So, and everything gets calm. So, They paid attention to this invisible passenger a lot. But at the end, they realized there is one other passenger on the boat. And this passenger on the boat is Christ. Christ is on the boat, right? And when they acknowledge that this other passenger is on the boat, everything changes. So they go to him and they wake him up. And he gets up and addresses them, why are you afraid? He knows he's on the boat. And then he sets everything right. He calms the storm. But when he speaks, fear is no longer a passenger because everything is back to the way it was, right? The disciples are no longer scared they're going to lose their lives, right? They are filled with wonder at this passenger that they finally chose to acknowledge after fearing for their lives. And... The winds and the waves obeyed him. So Christ was on the boat and Christ, no matter what the situation was, he was on the boat. So I think what looking at this story, I think we can kind of flesh out what is, what is God? What does Emmanuel mean? What does God with us mean? It means that Christ is on the boat. Like we are all. On a journey. Imagine we're on a boat and we are headed somewhere and storms come up all the time. There are many, many storms in this life, right? So we never know when they're going to hit. Uh, we might be going through one right now, coming out of one, but the fact is that Christ is on the boat. So no matter what our storm is, no matter what we're going through, Christ is on the boat. So if your storm is uh, the, the death of a loved one, Christ is on the boat. Uh, if the storm you're going through is a sickness, Christ is on the boat. If it is the, if it is a sickness of a child that you love, Christ is on the boat. Um, if it is financial instability or just uh, you are in need of something, Christ is on the boat. If it was a call you got and there has been some calamity, Christ is on the boat. If it is Difficulty in marriage, Christ is on the boat. If it's difficulty raising children, Christ is on the boat. God with us, Emmanuel, means that Christ is on the boat. There might be other passengers that try to appear like fear and anxiety sometimes, but the moment we acknowledge that Christ is on the boat, those things disappear and that, and we gain confidence in the fact that Our God, our Savior, Jesus, is on the boat with us. He is never off the boat. He is always on the boat. So, no matter what you're going through, uh, no matter how difficult it is, um, Christ is on the boat. He is with us. He has not forsaken us. He is on the boat. So, Christ is on the boat means that you are never forsaken no matter what you're going through. Uh, Christ is on the boat means that you can step out in confidence into what he's called you to do. Not that there will not be any difficulty, but he is on the boat and you can venture out onto the boat no matter what, because he is on the boat, right? The disciples went with confidence and when The storm came up, that new passenger came, fear, and caused a ruckus, but... The moment they acknowledge that Christ was on the boat, things change around. So <clears throat> this is not to say that Christ is on the boat means there is going to be no storms and no difficulty, no, but Christ is on the boat means that we can go through life with confidence that he is on the boat, that he is God, that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us and he will not forsake us. We are not forsaken no matter what situation or circumstance we're in. Christ is on the boat. So whatever situation you're going through, whether it is financial, whether it is physical, whether it is emotional, whether there, or if it's an addiction, whether it could be any difficulty you're going through, because storms don't always have to look the same for all of us. But we who are in the midst of them know that they are storms. But no matter what storm you're going through, no matter Where you are sailing on that boat with you, Christ is on that boat. So that is Emmanuel. That is God with us. As in, He is always on the boat no matter what is happening around us. Christ is on the boat. So no matter what you're going through, right? Nothing is out of that boat. Everything that you're going through. He is there. He is on the boat. He is on the boat. So Christ is on the boat. And he is the most important passenger on that boat as well. So Christ is on the boat. So what I want to leave you with today is as we start out and talk about, spoke about Emmanuel, God with us, is that he is on the boat with you. Christ is on the boat and so that we do not have to be afraid. So let me go ahead and finish off with prayer and then. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, you are with us, that you sent your son to come and live among us, to be human and to be God, to experience life as it is for us, Lord. And uh, we thank you that uh, you are with us we thank you that christ is on the boat no matter what no matter what storm it is That you are on the boat and you are the most important passenger on that boat, boat. because uh, if you we can step out in confidence in anything you have called us to do no matter what storm we're going through we can rest assured that you are there with us because you are on that board so father we ask you to always bring to our remembrance always bring to our attention that you are with us, Lord. You are not away. You are not far away. But you are with us and you will not forsake us. So we ask that you would uh, allow your Holy Spirit to remind us of that all the time. Father, we love you and thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe subscribe And check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus, finds life.